Welcome to Home Education Matters, the weekly podcast supporting you on your home education journey. Welcome to Home Education Matters and today I'm joined again by Emma White who is the guru behind Mark My Papers and Emma and I had a really interesting chat earlier this year about how to help your child if they choose to go to a top tier university and all this kind of processes you need to go through, the hoops you have to jump through but also the the opportunities that are there as part of your home education journey if your child does want to go to one of these top tier universities and it was a very popular episode so I thought I would ask Emma back onto the podcast and today we're going to be talking about how to use past papers to maximize your revision so your run-up to exams and we've used past papers a lot as a family and obviously Emma runs a past paper marking company so she has all the answers to all my questions hopefully and so today we're going to be talking about how to use past papers to really get the most out of your exam prep. So Emma, thank you so much for joining me again on the podcast. And do tell us a little, maybe just tell us a little bit about your company and how you sort of see past papers in that home education journey, what what role they play. Well, Mark My Papers was started initially to help my own sons. I, I um, realised I was doing 11 GCSE subjects uh, with a pair of them. And although I was happy to work through the the content, um, I didn't know, I hate this expression, but what good looks like. So I realised I needed examiners to to, to mark our work. And um, I've put a huge, huge amount of investment of time of, of creating, uh, um, link, make, you know, reaching out to examiners who had experience in that particular exam, um, marking currently. Um, I remember the first time I sent one of our papers off, I was quite disappointed that we thought we were on for an A-star, but we got a C. So uh, took all this huge amount of feedback on board and turned it around and did get an A-star in the end. But that's how Mark My Papers was started. I gradually built a team of examiners and then we rolled it out to other home educators, which was went down very well. And then schools discovered it and they have um, say taken us hostage. It's excellent. But we're now in 34 countries and working... Wow huge number of um, states and independent schools across the world. Schools marked for two reasons, really. Access to third-party, unbiased, anonymous um, examiners, and also to delegate the burden of their marking, because they, you know, obviously we will take 5,000 plus papers for a school, just we, we will mark the whole lot. So, but but this is obviously more interesting to home educators um, who are, often working independently, often without tutors. We do help quite a lot of tutors too, because I think you probably find the more closer you get to a student, you, um, saying it's unbiased, it's actually unintentional because what what happens, you know what a child meant to say um, in a past paper to be in in a response to a question. Mm. Um, You can understand their shorthand. You you can understand them and you know they know, but it's an examiner who's, who doesn't know them and has to see his absolute face value first time and see if it if it ticks all the boxes. So, yes, we became very popular with home educators and uh, I hope we've made, made quite a lot of difference. Having been a home educator myself in that position, I'm very aware of the, the, the stress and worry about doing it right. So that's how um, my papers was was originally founded. I think um, marked papers, marked exam papers is particularly helpful for home educated children that are self-studying because mm. I found that it uh, sometimes you feel like you're in a bit of a vacuum when your child's self-studying, particularly mm. if they're, do, you know, if you're really not involved and they've just got the textbook, maybe watching some YouTube videos, however they're sort of uh, subsidizing, if you like, their learning. And I found that sometimes you can just feel a bit terrified because you feel like you're in this in this vacuum of of feedback because you just don't know. They don't know. You don't know. And it it can be really quite scary, I think, whereas I mean, my children never been to school. But even so, I can imagine that if your child had been to school and you got used to teacher feedback and marked 
homework and things it would be mm. even it would be even scarier than if your child is self-studying and you just you just don't know how they're doing before the exam I think I think that's really interesting because I think if kids have been to school they often have exam phobia you, you see it quite a lot with kids parents will come on and there's a stress involved with exams that stress is stress is manufactured by parents and schools um and I felt my role with with the kids was to take away that stress also he'd been at school longer he he was year seven been to primary school where they did exams and he was already aware of oh, I've got to do well I've got to do well and it's quite uncomfortable with it and we worked hard on taking all fear away from past papers and from from exams Ernie on the other hand was year five and he he was really none the wiser hadn't had any exams and didn't really care anyway really because he's quite quite a different sort of outlook was sort of cheerfully rolling along um but I think one one thing's very important when you in, introduce past papers right from when you start your home education you've got to use them as an aid memoir as a, as a tool as you've put the child's got to become very familiar with them and not frightened by them it's not a big event it's just part of the learning process you don't want a child to go into an exam room it, it is naturally stressful and as we were discussing earlier, that stress is a good thing. It, it can just sharpen you up a bit. But if it overwhelms you to the point where you can't operate and can't remember anything, then it's a disaster. So as part of your learning journey, if you say, right, we're going to do Ed Excel history, get the past papers out and have them all the time with you. Now, this sounds like I'm only teaching them to the exam. That's absolutely not the case. But I do know the exam is a product and it's a competition that they will have to succeed in everything we learned separately and enjoyed and they've carried with them and still enjoy because the one has gone on to study history at university and the other one to do natural sciences they absolutely love their subjects but they knew the exams were something we needed to do well and get good at so we would have them at our side as we work through the content and we would be learning the various skills approaches now history is a really good example because it's testing every skill it's testing your ability to write a narrative flowing account, it's testing your evaluation and analytical skills, it's testing your ability to um, take a source for an interpretation and extract information from it um, and analyze it. So that's a good example of, of skills that you then take into later life. So these skills were sort of baked into the boys as we went along. We didn't actually have this big event. So many parents will write to me and say, we are planning some mock exams. And you think, oh, this all sounds really quite scary. And it's a big deal. And they may have created it in the mind because they want to emulate what happened at school or when they were at school. But I think it can be quite counterproductive because the whole purpose is the only time it really matters is on the day when you're in the exam room. Everything else is a warm-up. So just try and keep the stress low and get them familiar with it. Um, our methods, sit down, discuss each question between the three of us, you know, cup of tea, piece of toast. We just sort of, um, it's very leisurely and, and they became so familiar with it. And I was um, quite insistent they had to learn the content. Every time they did a past paper, they would be doing, or questions, they're doing it from memory. I do expect them to be able to remember the the facts go away and revise, keep revising, keep keep knowing it. But it became so sort of casual and familiar with it, it never became a big, scary, horrible, big deal. And would as you I, say, I, would you say that would you say that to begin with, it would it's good to have that kind of relaxed, interactive approach to the papers where you're sitting there, they're able to say, Oh, you know, talk to you about the questions that come up, maybe open book no time limit is that how you would recommend starting absolutely, out with the paper? absolutely like I, we've never done anything under a time i've never once had a timed exam with them now people would say that is how, how come because even with the nsaa which is the most fiercely time um restrictive application for natural sciences at cambridge only was 16 when he did it and nobody finishes in the time he did finish with seven minutes to spare that was because he was so used to the content and he was so used to working at that pace. But I'd never said, right, come on, Ernie, we're going to do it now and I'm going to time you. We always set the time. So you look, you're starting at half past one. Just write down um, 
where you got to after, make a note of how far you got after the one and a half hours or however long the paper was, and then write down the time you finished. Even if it's taking you two hours longer, that doesn't matter. Because you naturally get faster at things with practice. Whatever you do in life, um, you will get quicker at through familiarity and through through knowledge. So if your skills are, if, if your content is there alive in your mind and you know the skills, you will be quick enough. The, the problem is when people think past papers are a substitute for going through the learning process, just going to focus on a past paper. Know the content um, and know it, know it to hand. I know there's this sort of move, especially with um, with um, artificial intelligence and gadget, uh, you know, um, IT, that we don't need to really learn and remember everything. But I always said to the boys, because um, they would say to me, well, I can just find out. I can look on Google. And say, yes, you can. But, you know, say you were a paramedic, you knew you were lying there after an accident. Would you Would you have your paramedic say, just hang on, I just need to check. I just need to Google how to, how to treat you here. Give me 10 minutes, in which time you're probably bleeding to death. There's certain things we need to know and ha have to hand immediately in our mind. And I used to remind them as somebody who loves history. Just remember, um, Mary Tudor in Parliament uh, remembered everything she needed for a three-hour speech in Latin without notes. That was an expectation back then. Now we've got to the point where, oh, you know, they shouldn't have to remember formulae. Um, it, it, you know, so long, so long as they've got access to a laptop or an iPad, they, the information is there for them. Memorising yeah. is such an interesting thing, isn't it? Because it's, I don't yeah. know about school, but it's not something that I that I particularly had in school when I went to school. But my I remember I was in London recently with my mum and we were walking across Waterloo Bridge and she stopped because she's a bit this way. And she stopped halfway across and 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 quoted an entire poem. Yeah. By Keats or someone on about Waterloo Bridge, an entire poem that she had memorized at school. And I thought I can't I don't think I can remember anything. I can remember maybe three or four lines of Shakespearean speeches, if I'm lucky, but we don't seem to do a lot of memorising anymore, actually. But does that matter for yes. past papers? Yeah, well, I, no, I think it just matters to to make your brain. Um, I just think it's like the boys, the brain, your brain is a muscle. You've got to keep it fit and you have to ask, uh, you have to be good at remembering things. Now, some of us have better memories than others. I actually do remember quite a few of the poems because I quoted one to, to my husband the other day who was talking about somebody wanting a... Um, a memorial in the church and I started quoting Grey's Elegy to him and he said, oh God. So I do remember a lot of the poems <laughs> I did at school. And uh, Ernie, he um, started challenging himself to remember the periodic table and he could do it in under 31 seconds. I never said to him, Ernie, you go and learn the periodic table. But his mind, his brain muscle, I call it a muscle, got, got better. He could then remember... Um, all 85 Roman emperors and tell you about each of them. Nobody in the right mind would do that. Then he started reading, I think I told you this last time, he started reading the Bible and he would be reading it out to me. He was reading it because it, it's the foundation, obviously, of, of Western um, Christianity. And he also, it's, it's, it's mentioned in so much literature that he, he was really into it. But he then started reading out all the measurements for the tabernacles and I said, please stop. I mean, at the end of it, I could have gone off and built my own church. It, it was um, so, so <laughs> But what's the reason I'm saying it? He has an incredible memory. And it's because of an expectation right from when they were young. Go off and learn this. Go and remember it. We'll do these. We'll work on these prospects, but you need to have the memory there. So would you say that open book exams are less effective than maybe open timed exams? Well, I think the, the trouble is with an open book exam, you spend that long faffing around trying to find what you want. And um, they are, Ozzy does, uh, he's, he's at Cambridge studying history, and his exams were five hours long this summer, and they're open book. But he went on the, the basis that if, if I've got it in the hand in my mind, and I know it, that will make me quicker. And I've just got this expectation that you can remember. You, I'm sure as, as, as a child, you'd remember all your friends' phone numbers. You remember people's addresses. Now, with this sort of external neuroplasticity, we've delegated a lot of our brain power to a gadget, and we're so reliant on stuff, we actually don't expect ourselves to remember anything. Now, because I think the boys were taught 
in France largely where we didn't have internet, we didn't have laptops, it became reading and remembering. So they have got um, really good memories. So that's the thing, we, we, we were very familiar with what was on the paper, we refer to it all the time. We knew the, the various you know, difference between analysing, evaluating, um, how, how to read through a source. Um, and they became very good at it because they were so familiar, but we totally took the the fear out of it. How would you find the information that you would need to understand things like, you know, how to answer an analyze question, how to answer a describe question? Well, in the textbooks, that that's that's um most of the textbooks, we we did spend quite a lot of money on buying absolute and the important is absolutely match the textbook to the specification you're doing. Don't think because I'm doing Edexcelli GCSE English Language A, I can use the textbook for B or the AQA English Language textbook. Just make sure it's an it's, look at it like you're you're following a recipe. Don't wing it, you know. Just just be as accurate as as you possibly can. What would you say are the main skills then that you learn from exams? I mean, it's, it's clear that to kind of disseminate a large amount of information and sort of tease it out and work out what was important and then and then answer questions based on it and and I think certainly a lot of humanities exams are very like that Mm. but what about um what about more general exam skills I mean I'm thinking time management is is a great skill that comes from exams I I think um lots of skills from it from from the whole process of doing exams it's it's controlling your nerves. You need to be a bit nervous. And the reason you need to be nervous is because it matters rather than because you don't know what you're doing. Um, and like you say, your time management, your ability, and in his case, I've got one hour to do this and I'm going to do it. Now, if some, a boss said to you, um, I need you to turn this around really quickly, you need to be able to operate swiftly. You can't say, well, I'm 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 gonna have to go home and think about this for six six hours or six days because that's me. You need to be able to function, um, you know, keep it keep keep going, keep keep your mind alive. So I, th- I think it, I think the whole process of going through the nerve-wracking uh experience of exams is actually good for you if if you're prepared. At the end of it, you feel yes, I've, I've absolutely done it. If we take that away, it takes away the sort of focus, the direction of where you're going with all these studies. I've always said, you know, that everything we've ever learned in your history, your geography, your French, everything is there for life. But these exams are teaching you sets of skills that you will also need for life. Um, and from these subjects, you will find interest that you will carry forward. But one one point I really do want to mention here with, with parents and exams there is a tendency with home educators to sort of we are unusual and and we consider ourselves that our our needs are slightly individual when you work with an exam center do take a bit of ownership yourself to say to your child this is the paper you are doing this is the code Um, it's meant to be uh, it's this exam board and it's meant to be one and a half hours long so if you're going there expecting edXL GCSE uh IGCSM maths and it's two hours and you sit down and it's an AQA paper and it's um an hour 30 and it's foundation you're meant to be doing higher stop and put your hand up and the reason it happens in centers for private candidates is because we have all and sundry turning up if you go to a school everybody on that day in that room is doing the same paper when you go to a school as an exam, you know, a private candidate, there would probably be 30 other people there all doing something slightly different. So it's not the exam centre's fault. Just have the confidence, make sure your child has the confidence to put their hand up and ask and say, I think I've got the wrong paper. Can I just check? So, so for you, part of exam prep is knowing the, the child knowing the name of the exam board, the name of the exam, the length of the exam, so that when they get the paper, they know they would know if there was a mistake and they, they could have then to, be- they have to know instantly. But that's what I'm saying. Just tell them, you know, you do have to take a bit of responsibility. Then don't get on Facebook and blame everybody else because your child did the wrong paper. And the, 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 then there's a huge sort of sympathy and support. But really you know, you have to take the blame because unless you take the blame, you won't change anything. It has to be your fault because it's your child and it's their future. Make sure they are 
um, confident enough to just say, I think I've got the wrong paper. I think that's a really valid point. And I think actually that lends itself to we were talking about the skills that you gain from sitting exams. And I think you mentioned that that sense of achievement, you know, you you get a sense of success and also a sense of self-confidence. You get confidence in yourself. But I wonder whether there's also a flip side to this. And I think you, you hinted at this when you said that this is all very well if you do it right or if you sort of prepare right. But I'm guessing there's also an, uh, a possibility where sitting past papers could end up being a negative experience and haven't... Oh, it, haven't... Certainly, it certainly can, Anna. We have this every year. Um, my message to home educators is, is plan early. Start, start your journey early. So the last month or so, you're just cruising and, and you're ready and waiting. And, and it, the exam, you just wish they'd come sooner. You would be amazed how many times I get... Um, emails from parents and kids in schools who do, and they will email you literally three days before an exam and say we're about to do a past paper can you mark it and I will say no it won't be helpful unless you've had a whole program of working up to this because we had one poor child this is four or five years ago who got an appalling mark the night before their maths exam and I was quite surprised because maths is actually quite one to easily mark yourself to a point. You, you'll miss some of the detail, but overall, you're pretty pretty much there. Maths and sciences are not difficult to mark yourself. But this person had a complete disaster and then was cross with us because their child had then lost confidence. And I said, yes, but you, you really needed to be on this months ago. It's It's very upsetting for a child. To, to be in a position where they get bad news and they haven't got the time to do anything about it. So mm. if you're going to do these past papers, have a plan. Uh, be working with them all around you all the time. But if you're actually going to sit one for real and get it marked, do it in time that you can use your feedback. What would you What would you say is the ideal timeline when it comes to revising and using past papers? We'd never do one officially until we'd actually finished the content. Everything had to be done and nailed down before we do one officially that I would then get marked. Um, and we would aim to have everything. It's difficult because you're doing them over one year. Um, we would be sort of working on, on getting past papers marked four or five months before the actual exam. So that would give us time to... Uh, to address any issues that that had come up so if it's a summer exam that's around about january february time right? january february yes that's when you need to really start getting the words on it this is if you if you're wanting to get really you know do do well in the exams i think there's a sort of tendency to to really leave it's like in everything in life leave it to the last minute i would expect them to be fully ready four months before yeah and actually i know that when my son was doing physics and he had a physics tutor she I know she said to me round about around about September she'd been working with him for a year and his exam was then due the following May so she'd have been working with him for nearly two years by the time of the exam and I said oh how's it going and she said oh yes we're, we're absolutely on track to finish the content by January and I thought January what the hell are you going to do from January through to May and what she did was a mass amount of, of basically past papers and exam prep Yes, get, getting them actually match fit for that that occasion. Um, but you find some. I, I see it all the time on Facebook. You know, somebody four months to go till the exam, and they're going to do do the exam in four months. That's fine if that suits them. But it wouldn't be my method because I think it comes with an unnecessary amount of stress. I think it also does depend on the subject because, for example, my son did statistics. No, my son did economics. And he loves economics and had always done lots of economics reading and he and he had the content and then he decided very late on to do the exam. So all he needed to do was transfer the content in his brain into the output, which was the exam output that was needed. But I think if you have to learn content as well, it's it's a very short time scale. Is there yeah. anything less than six months? Anything less than six months, I think, is very short time scale for an exam. Kids do vary. Some have a you know an appetite for it that other, others don't. But there is no time limit on how long it should take you. But the, there is always this sort of feeling that um, oh, he must be really clever because he's actually done it really really quickly. Um, and I don't really think that's always the case. 
you mentioned a few times about how important it is to know the content before you start doing past papers. Yeah. Um, but would you say that there would you say that there's an approach where you, for example, you study, say, one unit and then do the bits of the exam paper that relate to that unit and then you do the next unit and follow in that way? You can absolutely do that. That, that would be a, another good way of doing it. The, the reason we, we focused on revision, because I'm two of different ages, I wanted to actually, I taught, taught them how to revise because I think a lot of kids don't actually know how to revise. And I said, that you know, this will take a long time. You are expected to to hold this in your mind, your mind is capable. And I mentioned to you the Mary Tudor story of having happily going into Parliament with three hours of speech content in Latin in her head. That's what your mind is capable of with, with neuroplasticity. You can, you can do it. So I would say, right, Ernie, you're doing French at the moment. Ozzy, you revise, you spend half an hour revising your history in front of me. Sound like some sort of dictator. This sounds terrible, but it, but it, it was just sort of motivating them. He would then have half an hour of memory. Now, when you're at school, that doesn't happen. You go home. I think one of the worst things in school is homework. They go home and they've so, got so much homework to do, they don't have time to revise. Um, clearly, from home education, we've never had homework. It's all revision. So when one was doing <clears throat> chemistry, you're not doing chemistry, you revise biology. Half an hour of while he does chemistry with me, you revise biology in front of me. So they were revising all day, every day. Revision for you is, um, I'm guessing, two-pronged, where it's going over the content again, so mm. rereading the content, re-engaging with the content, and then sort of um, externalising the content via an exam, via they, a mock They'd exam. also, they'd learn it, they'd, they'd actually learn it, say, sort of speak it over themselves and then rewrite it down again. They'd make, make notes on writing it, rewriting it out, we did a huge amount of writing. I know in, in schools these days, I don't think there's as much note-taking. We, we did tons of it. It was quite old-fashioned. Um, you know, Ernie said it was like that George Strait song, write, write this down, make a little note. Every time I say, write it down, they've got George Strait's going on again. Um, but, it, but it worked. They, they can recall stuff. Sort of movement towards, oh, they don't need to remember because we've got, the internet. It's interesting. I was reading in a book actually about <clears throat> people with Alzheimer's and saying one of the best things to to prevent your brain deteriorating is to learn new skills. So as you get older, learn the piano, learn a language, try and, and, and put put it into your memory. So you're constantly regenerating brain cells, keeping your brain going. And there is a tendency now for, for people not to expect anybody to remember anything. Um, so slight laziness, if anything, and it, it is quite astonishing what you can remember if if you need to. And I think there's mm -hmm. also we multiple bank of phone numbers in our heads and all sorts of information. Yeah, so. I know, isn't it? It's interesting, isn't it? Because I actually um, I have a I make a habit of memorizing my bank card when it comes, which is the bank yeah. card, the expiry date, and the security code on the back. And I always memorize it because it, you're always looking for your card and you can't find it, and it's just annoying. Whereas if you know the numbers, you can put it into your internet shopping. So, but it's one of those funny things. As soon as I memorize it, and I lose my card quite often because I don't need it because I have it in my head. So I quite often have to re-memorize these things because I get new cards sent out to me quite a lot. And um, I get this amazing sense of satisfaction when I memorize something. Yeah. It's just, and it, it must be something kind of that, that is quite tapped into us, I think, as humans, this this sort of memorizing of things. I think we're moving away from it because partly because we're lazy as a species. And, you know, lazy, lazy collectively. If 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 something, if there's a gadget to make it easier, then we go for it. Um, and yeah, we don't need to. But I mean, I say to the kids, you know, if the power's turned off, you won't know anything uh, because you've you've delegated all your knowledge and brain matter to 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 your laptop or your iPad. And uh, you know, well, I must say at this point, because now people would say, oh, they you know, they're, they're both now at Cambridge, only got in at sixteen. Um, they must be really super clever, but they've developed their brains over time and they've developed it through patience and, and technique and um, lack of distractions. Uh, they, they, they've done a huge amount of reading. They've not been exposed to a lot of stuff. Uh, kids take their time away. 
um, because they're at home, like your kids, you can sort of manage the environment quite effectively um, and keep them focused. And if I say to them, right, you, you're now going to revise for half an hour in front of me, they will do it because they knew no difference. It's paid off. They've, they've both done exceedingly well out of it. Um, but I do accept that most people are not in the position to have that level of input into a, a child's education. I think as well for some children who maybe have uh, dyslexia or maybe ADHD, it may be they may find it harder to memorize things because I know my my daughter is dyslexic and when we were doing the times tables, which took years and she still mm. doesn't remember them, she, um, I remember just getting really quite frustrated and just like just remember like just remember it it's like just remember it and yeah. and I remember there was a there was a thing where you could do things with your fingers for like the seven times table and like hold one finger down and and I remember saying to her isn't it just easier to remember it than have to do the thing with the fingers but actually for her memorizing things that are boring she finds extremely difficult she can however and does and has memorized the entire discography of Taylor Swift. So it's not that she's incapable of doing it. It's just if it if it's not interesting to her, she, yeah. she she can't memorize. Whereas my son can happily memorize anything, regardless of how interested he is in it. I think also with kids, you, you um, have to do things when it's right for them. Um, I remember certain things trying to teach Ernie when he was because um, he couldn't read at seven. He couldn't read or write. And I, I I think I told you before, I started teaching him through um, tracing. And uh, I'd read, read some of that would be a, an effective way. He clearly, his, whatever it was in his brain, hadn't linked up to enable him to do it. So it's all very well me saying, yes, they can remember. Some can't and some can at different ages. So you've got to gauge each one. I realise Ernie has a phenomenal memory and I'll be built on it. And um, he carries huge amounts of information around in his head. Not everybody can do that, but you can sort of gradually try and encourage them to. But I think the, the problem with modern society is that we're expecting them not to remember anything. We're debating whether they should have to learn formula for things like, you know, Pythagoras A squared, B squared equals C squared. Surely people ought to be able to remember that and when to use it. I think doing past papers is something that really helps with memorizing because I know that there's a certain, particularly for my daughter, as I say, who's dyslexic, there's a visual element to it that when she sees the visual of the exam paper with like a two mark question that is something like, you know, uh, I don't even know, like, like what is the difference between a plant cell and an animal cell or something mm -hmm. along those lines, right? And there's something that gets triggered in her memory when she's done that question a number of times on an exam paper, that when she sees it again on exam paper, there's almost a visualness and uh, like a kind of kinesthetic element because she uses a keyboard that triggers that memorizing that she doesn't get just from reading it in a textbook. And I'm I'm guessing that's a benefit of doing a lot of exam papers. Yes, just, absolutely. That works for her. Um, and she's found hooks and ways in which to do it. That can only come from from plenty of practice and exposure to them. But I think what the problem is is you probably remember at school we didn't see past papers until mocks and the actual exam. And the only day it matters is you've got to be match fit on that final day in that exam. The rest well, no, that of actually that is a very interesting point that leads me on to a question I wanted to ask you actually, which is that you mentioned that. Uh, there's a lot of stress and a lot of tension around exams and mm. that if you do a number of mock papers and do an, you're exposed to them a lot then that that then that is removed or that is eased but I wonder if there's an element where you say that the the only important one is the one on the day which is true mm. now my daughter as an example always we do lots of exam papers and then about three or four weeks before the exam she gets a kind of fatigue where she yeah. just can't she doesn't want to look at them anymore and, and she her marks start dropping and what I tend to do then is stop everything until the exam and then she goes and I'm like this is this is the last one you'll ever have to do now but is there a is there a balance you have to get there between exposing yeah, them to fine. lots I, I think it's, it's actually building them up um, I sort of say it's a bit like turning horses. You've got to, got to be on the right, get them absolutely right on that day. You don't want them to bottom out when sort of you see it all the time on these eleven plus pages. You know, my my daughter was getting eighty percent. Now it's gone down to sixty, and there is a fatigue. So you've got to build them up. 
to the point where they're, they're sort of familiar with it, but it, it's not this pressure thing where you're pushing, pushing, pushing. It's just what you do. You're there sitting it. So I say, uh, let's just discuss how we're going to approach this question. Um, let's let's uh, spend the morning, say on these, um, you know, to what extent do you agree questions? And we'd say, right, okay, let's write a, let's let's write three introductory paragraphs and and uh, let's approach it slightly different. How are we going to do it? How are we going to do it? And we'd sit there discussing it. So there's absolutely taken all of the fear out of it. Um, but I do think if you keep pushing it, saying, right, you're going to do another one, you're going to do another, let's keep it. Because I, I have some people who will literally send... They will take a subject, say, like sociology, and send 20. They're running out of past papers to do. And also, there's another point. I don't. It's often a good idea to repeat a past paper. Where people think, well, I need new material to have another go. Do the same one again. We've done uh, papers more than once. Um, and it doesn't hurt that you sort of half know it already. Um, and it's sometimes a good comfort for you because you're doing the same thing, you know it, but you're just trying to improve your answer. That can be very beneficial too. But there's this, you know, people come on to us, can you write some more papers because we've we've done all of them. You think, well, just go back and do, do them again. I'm sure you won't, <laughs> won't remember all of it. Uh, particularly in science papers, because you do get, every year you get to what we call, um, you know, old, old friends that appear, questions that are on virtually every year. So it doesn't hurt. <clears throat> To redo a paper that you've already done before um, as, as part of, of your process. But I think the overall message is try and take the stress out of it. It is important and you want them to understand the importance but not be frightened about it. And know that when they go into that exam, there will be an element of fear, nerves. Um, but that's a good thing because that should sharpen them up a bit. Helps with the timing as well, oh, doesn't it? I always find timing. But until a child is really ready, don't worry about the time. I see papers from schools throughout the mock season where kids cannot do it in the time allowed. And putting them pressure to do it in the time allowed is not going to make them do it in the time allowed. The only way they're going to be able to do it in the time allowed is by getting good at the skills and knowing the content. And that's it. When you mentioned the skills and you were also mentioning, uh, you know, the to what extent do you agree and disagree kind of questions. I found that when I was doing probably my most effective revision with my daughter for, I think it was, I think it was history, we would take particular types of question. And I was like, I was actually taking my dog to agility classes at the time. And when mm. you do agility classes, you have lots of different bits of equipment. Now I would say to my daughter, I would say, okay, like today we're going to do this type of question. So it's like getting your, your dog really good at the seesaw, right? You just yeah, do lots exactly, of the seesaw. Exactly. And I found that a really efficient way of revising where like we would we would spend a week just just, just doing one type of question so that right. she felt so comfortable that, that it was like coming back to an old friend. Well, it goes back to what I was saying about um, teaching horses, like you say, with the dogs, you would do the, um, the seesaw or the going through that tunnel or the bending poles. And it's the same with horses. If you training a horse to show jump, and it has a course of jumps that you've got to go around as a show. You don't do that at home. You don't endlessly go around a course of jumps at home. You'll, you'll build what we call grids, which is an exercise to perfect its technique over, say, a parallel um, or talking horses now. You're teaching it to do one skill particularly well. And the course is just a collection of those skills. But you'll concentrate on, on one at a time and build... Um, these grids to help it develop that technique and you apply exactly the same way to teaching a child don't keep blasting them into the whole thing and that's when it would be the same with horses if you keep saying right we're going to jump around a course you'd start off by just having one pole down then you're having three or four and you're thinking it's all falling apart it's falling apart that's what happens with these people in the 11 plus they're over preparing all the time and then they think, oh my she's gone down from 80 percent to 70 percent to 60 percent you focus on elements of it like i was saying we sat down and we discussed the evaluation question there's a, a question two on the uh paper two on the um we, on our um american west thing it was a narrative question i was teaching them all the time how to write a narrative account how to say and then this happened and because of that that happened and it's a flowing story and they've got to learn the technique of keeping a flowing story going and they got really really good at it they could you know i've got got um 
I, I actually use them for uh, when we take examiners on, we mark my papers, we always test them. They have to give all the evidence of their marking history, and then we test them against our um, library of past examiners and see where they fit. And Ernie's papers, he did history GCSE too, and on those evaluation questions, um, he he consistently got 16 out of 16 for the and the spag mark um because we had so got into the technique for it we could spend a whole day that you know all, all the lessons on that history thing that that's what we were going to focus on so when they go into an exam they're just pulling all those skills together their brain can think that's that skill that's that skill that's that bit of content and what tends to happen when you just completely do the whole thing in one go they see it as a whole thing in one go rather than no right this is how i'm going to ride this one this is how i'm going to sing ride tackle this one this is how i'm going to tackle the other one um, and it's exactly like you say with your dog with the agility you didn't say right i'm just going to go in and do all of it over and over again i'm going to focus on the tunnel i'm going to focus on the, the seesaw or the ramp and it and it yields much better results there's loads to be learned from training animals compared to children yeah we actually we actually have a podcast like a mini series podcast which is called which is about dog behaviorism and children because dog behaviorism has has uh has really developed hugely in the last 10 years alone and and actually a lot of the elements like engagement and and uh relationship all of these things are actually very key when you parent but one thing you you mentioned that i think i've i've noticed as probably the biggest thing that people get wrong when it comes to using past papers is that they they engage with the process of getting their child to sit the past paper and then they may mark it with a mm. you know with the with the mark scheme online that you can find online very easily and you can find all these past papers very easily online and then what they tend to do is they mark it maybe mm. they mark it together maybe they just mark it on their own as a parent and i would always say mark it together but sometimes i've seen people and they mark it on their own they they allocate a mark out and then they're like okay that one's done and let's move on to the next one but they don't ever like kind of analyze the feedback they don't look at sort of the mark scheme they don't go back and and reword some of the questions you know it's really interesting to say that because i'll have children who will um send in a sort of aqa gcse english language paper one in the morning and it's a bit of a disaster and then um the following morning you'll get you'll get another one and i'm thinking well you can't possibly and i even write to them myself and say please slow down Take it on board. Use we've directed you to a few resources online. Read them and think, and come back to us in a week to ten days. Um, we're not taking your money off you for you charging at it. And and this this is what happens. The more you it's a bit like, and I'm sure with your dog training, it's the same. If you just get they just sort of rush and make more mistakes. So you, and so what started off as a problem with with one. Um, item on the course then you've got problems all around it so you have to address each part separately and then um, do them as a whole as you get closer to the exam it's constantly right i'm just going to do another i'm going to do another it's almost to me like people with lottery addiction i'm going to send it in and see what grade i get this time i just think i think it calm I down there's impatience as well because i know that the very first paper i had marked with with your company which was a long time ago it must have been like very soon after you started long, i think actually yeah, and ago. and um it was a history paper that my son sat so he's it was about, it must have been about 5 years ago and he i remember i sent it off to you your company you marked it you sent it back and i i basically skim read I yeah. skim read the feedback and I, I had a look at the marks and I said, oh, okay, you got this mark. And I just skim read it. And I and I didn't never went back and looked back at the feedback. And I remember about two years ago, after he'd long since done his history exam, I found the file that you'd sent because I was clearing through my email. Yeah. And I thought, how did I not use this resource properly when I paid the money for it? And it's almost like I just wanted to see because the mark. And then I was like, the that, that's what happens. And we always say it to schools as well. They're looking for the shape of their data. It's data-driven and saying, no, no, the most important thing is our overall cohort country. We've picked up on various things as a third party that you're probably um, not aware of because you're too close to the action at the school. 
the, the report, the feedback is key. Don't be too bothered about the mark. Um, let just focus on on how we've told you we think it could be better. And we, we see it's, what it, it's like an addiction to an impatience of wanting a better result. We all want to, we all want to do well, but the feedback is the most Im- important part of it. I think just a sort of personal story to to emphasize how using exam papers can be really effective. My son is doing marine science A-level, very hard to find tutors. In fact, impossible to find a tutor for marine science A-level. And so he's just uh, self-studying with the textbook. Now, we had an exam paper marked with your service about a month ago, and I got it back and we've been on holiday, so he hasn't had a look at it. And this morning I said to my son, I said, what I want you to do is I want you to take this exam paper and I want you to like really use the exam paper. And I said, would you like, I said, would you like us to get an exam paper marked once a month, which will Mm. cost about 40 pounds or something like that? Or would Mm. you like a one-off session with a tutor once a month, if I can find a tutor? And he said, no, I'd rather have the exam paper marked once a month. Then I go through the feedback. I have another go at the paper based on the feedback that I've got. I look again at the content in the textbook and and it becomes a tool that he's now using that actually I'm kind of like budgeting in. So, okay, I don't need a tutor because he's going to use this very personalized feedback that he gets with the exam paper. And and I've made that conscious decision with his, you know, with his input that that's the approach we'll take. And you, and you can use it as, as really quite a a helpful tool, can't you? It's very effective with, with, kids like your son who's willing to um engage and, and sort of take the feedback on board you take you get some kids who i think will actually be better with a tutor no this is absolutely not your son because he's willing and, and quite a few kids devour the feedback we give them and act upon it and change but some kids you sort of feel they really could do with somebody just helping them along a bit face to face because they're, they're just not really getting it or they're not reading the feedback and they're just sending another one in and making the same mistakes over and over again. And the number of stories I've read in English literature where every school, well, not every school, but loads of schools seem to start kids off with this preset paragraph, writing in turbulent times, Charles Dickens or whatever, insert the author name. You're sort of thinking, oh, come on, let's pull you back from that. And they go, we say, don't do that. Try, Try thinking this. And then they do it again, and you think, no, you really need a tutor to, to sort of like reprogram your your brain. <laughs> you you're just doing the same thing over and over again. But um, a good tutor as well will use past papers, won't they? So they will incorporate. Past we mark for a lot of tutors. We we do because they equally want to say you, you you tend to get particularly some families who are quite pressured and competitive. Uh, probably overrate their kids and then a, uh, an examiner will say to you know, you know we think you should be going to Oxford we think this we think that and they say well can you just give a third party opinion so I can explain to the students and parents this is more where you need to be pitching because they don't they don't believe it you know all of us think you know our, our kids are brilliant you know everybody's goose is a swan so to, so to say so but you just have to sort of rock winding expectations so yes a lot of tutors do use us really to support their own beliefs um you know we'll get a third party to look at it so yeah we do mark for quite a lot of tutor groups and tutors so before we finish today emma what what are your top tips for using exam papers i know we've covered a few of them but maybe you could just let us know your sort of like the the bits of advice you'd give take take the stress out of it Approach each part individually. Don't keep blasting through them. Make sure your kids are absolutely well-versed and confident to know each paper they go into, know the code, know the duration, know the exam board. And if it's wrong, don't start and then say at the end, oh, I think I did the wrong paper. It's an absolute disaster. Try and say to the kids, there is a huge value in what you are doing these skills in this content, you will carry them through to life. Keep, keep it positive. Don't make it into a sort of negative. It's just education and exams are something to get through. Don't think they're just for 16-year-olds. They are skills you will need potentially for life that can come in useful. Um, I think that's about it, It really. So prepare well in advance, but don't overcook it and don't don't leave it equally. Don't do it till last minute where it's counterproductive that somebody's getting terrible results 
and adding to the stress and you've not got the time to put it right. Also, if you're not ready for the exam in time, um, it doesn't matter if it takes another year. Just just wait. Do exams at the right time when you can um, get the best results. It tends to be a bit of a rush. So it's like a sort of bragging point, you know, we, we, we've done psychology in three weeks and you think, well, great, but, you know, why? <laughs> so um, I take it really seriously. I have really enjoyed it. I do, it it's, it's been very, very effective for us, but we have planned everything in detail. You know, nothing is sort of left a chance. So um, make yourself familiar with these past papers right from the beginning. They mustn't be sort of ogres that kids are terrified of. They have to be very, very comfortable. Um, you often get people saying, oh, well, this came up on the exam and it wasn't It wasn't on in the specification. It usually is a proximal content that's very closely related. They're probably interpreting a situation that you don't quite realise is, particularly in biology, they'll, they'll take a sort of case study thing and you've got to decide which um topics it's actually relating to but people say oh i never learned that nobody taught me that so just get kids aware that there may be elements of proximal context that calls upon their knowledge but in a slightly different way to what they're used to yeah, do do get so i'm not not pushing uh pushing our own brand here but on subjective subjects such as history um religious studies english language english literature it's always worth getting somebody to mark it independently who is an examiner and say all of ours have to be have to mark that paper and, and board um sciences and maths it's quite easy to mark your own you don't really need to get get those looked at you will be accurate enough in marking those to not need to do that I think with some of the subjective subjects as well what we tend what we tended to do with things like English for example is we would we would sit and mark like two or three papers then we would get one paper marked by externally yes. so we would cut and we would have marked it first so we could check against it to Absolutely. see whether we were doing That's it right thing. um it's not it's not it's not cheap but there's a lot of work that goes into marking these papers you don't need to be sending us loads one or two do one get the feedback go away spend a couple of weeks and then doing another one at a time is is enough you don't need to be bombarding us every week and pattern and, and you can feel the panic in these these children. And that that's a job for parents to sort of manage that panic. And you'll only ever achieve well in these as a state in the office if you're not stressed and you're absolutely match fit for the occasion. So do expect your kids to be able to um and I know, I know not everybody can, but for, for a lot of children, yes, they can remember. Get them revising early. Make revision part of your daily routine for home educating. You know, set aside yep. revision time and watch them do it. Because some of them, I don't think I really know what revision means. It's not just reading. You know, they've got to think about what am you know, what have I learned there? Um, note taking. Note take. Write it down again. Absolutely. And I think that sort of sums it up. Well, that is perfect. Thank you so much, Emma. Thank you for holding our hand yeah. through using past <laughs> papers. It's a resource that's there, but we don't always sort of get the best out of it. So thank you so much for helping us. It can us be very effective if you, if you use it correctly. It mm. can be very effective. That's right. Thank you so much, Emma. It's been lovely having you oh, back well, on the podcast today. Lovely to talk to you. Bye, Emma. Thank you so much for joining us for today's Home Education Matters podcast. See you at the next one. Have a lovely day.